Good morning. Good morning. Still morning. <laughs> Long morning. Thank you again for making your way here and uh, being willing to step into the, the heat of uh, obsession in more ways than one. For the beginner's mind session, we often have a, a, a range of um, kind of a range of experience levels in the Zen tradition. Some people who've been around for involved for, for many years, others who are coming to check it out for the first time and, and, and everything in between. Right, so for, and for those of you who are visiting here for the first time, I understand that there's a, uh, quite a lot to get used to, a lot of um, uh, bows and bells and uh, ways to do things and, and ways not to do things. And we ask that you um, just follow along, uh, pay attention, look, join in, and, and over time, uh, it will become more familiar and over time the the benefit and the usefulness of the form and the container becomes more apparent for, for myself when I when I first lived here arrived here I'd been here a couple of weeks and I was pretty sure of some changes that ought to be made around the place <laughs> right. and um, and of course, you know, fast forward 10 years or so after that, then I, was, uh, I, I would see that very differently. Just be very careful to make any change at all to the way we do things. With a long tradition, usually the way that it done, things are done are done that way for a very good practical reason. And all of the things that we, we do in the forms of uh, Zen practice are underpinned by a, a practicality. And that practicality, all of these ways of doing things, is really meant to focus our attention in the broader sphere of our environment. Right? Often our attention is in a very small sphere that just spins in between, in between the ears. Uh, our tradition here, if we look back to the to the founder, the original founder would be is represented on the, on the altarpiece here, uh, Siddhartha Gautama, the the Buddha, the historical Buddha. I'm sure everybody has uh, uh, heard of and knows something knows something of uh, the story of the of the Buddha. Uh, he's a, a founder and um, a model and uh, an archetype for the possibilities of, of meditation and the possibilities of, of Dharma practice. So we look back to 2,500 years or so ago with the Buddha. In, in the sutra books we were using this morning, in, uh, we didn't do it today, but at sometimes we chant the, uh, the lineage, uh, the lineage of uh, Buddha, ancestors, uh, one person to one person in connection that goes back from Yokoji here about 84, 85 generations back to the Buddha. But in this, in this lineage chart, uh, it has several names before the Buddha. And so that really shows that things didn't begin 
with the Buddha, the Buddha didn't invent meditation. Right? Meditation was already uh, a well-practiced art and approach in the um, in the woods and the foothills of uh, northern India at that time, as well as in other places. We could look much, much further back to the point where um, uh, Homo sapiens perhaps became self-aware. <laughs> Right, I, I tried to look that up, but there's a lot of you know you throw that in the internet, you get a lot of different uh, different responses. Each one completely confident in the in the truth <laughs> of that, but uh, many different for for when that happened. But at some point, it seems in a, in the evolution of this curious biped that we are, uh, we became consciousness took a took a turn, uh, maybe a left turn, and. Um, and we became aware of the self, aware of our uh, place in the world. And perhaps being, beginning at that point, or if we postulate beginning at that point, I say that because it seems that many things that we share the world with, um, uh, you know, say cats and dogs and, and uh, different, different creatures, plants, animals, don't seem to have that same um, awareness of uh, reality that sees things in subject object and it, in a fundamental way is aware of the imminence of its own demise at some point it may feel comfortably distant for for um for a period of time but as human beings that really is something that we we are we are faced with so since time immemorial then, uh, people have contemplated what, what this life is, what the meaning of this life is, and the, 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 who, um, how we relate to the world and to one another. That is, uh, and that is a, clearly a work in progress. That is not something that has been uh, settled definitively by by any means. Of course, if we look back to the ancient world and the distant past, many cultures have many different worldviews and cosmologies, uh, religions and uh, explanations for what the world is, how it came into existence and our, our place in it. So the Buddha was you know, born into uh, apparently a kind of an agrarian um, system, uh, an early Hindu system, although it said, uh, I read somewhere that his, the, the, the people that he um, was, a, were, was a part of were actually um, kind of Aryan and placed the sun as, as the, main, the main deity, like, like many um, cultures have throughout, you know, throughout the millennia. That's really obvious to me. It's like you look up and you see the sun and, you, and it's like, that's clearly in charge, right? That's like, that's something to go, it's like quite obvious. I mean, definitely if you wander around like at three o'clock this afternoon and go outside, you'll see, see who's in charge. So explanations for this reality began, of course, you know, many millennia ago. But Buddha was uni perhaps unique in that um, <clears throat> he looked to 
for an explanation or an understanding of reality. He didn't look outside the experience of being a human being. Right? So it's like meditation really is that. It, it's to face the reality of being thus. Right? Just directly enter into the experience of being so and, and all things being so. Like when we begin meditation, if you're anything like me, I found it very difficult to, I remember celebrating sitting for five minutes, you know, just thinking like, yes. And then I got up to 10 minutes, okay, you know, and so on until like half an hour. And that felt difficult and, and a, an achievement to be able to, to do that. And I was consumed with thinking about all kinds of things and, and the really volatile chatter of the mind seemed to be uh, quite an obstruction. You know, when I started um, practice, Dharma practice, well, at the beginning, I wasn't personally so in, I wasn't particularly interested in Buddhism. I was interested in what is this life? What, what, what is reality? And I came at it from different ways, uh, but then found a meditation group uh, that was a Actually, it was a, a kind of a lay Tibetan group close to, the, close to where I lived in, uh, in the UK. And I went along to this group and learned the basics of posture. And then I was given a practice. And I, I, I think the first practice I had was like a, met, a metta practice, which I found very difficult. It was like to show love and compassion to myself. I'm like, hmm, that sounds suspicious you know that's, that's strange and then to every everyone else and I at that time I found that difficult to to approach and through my uh, reading books and in, inquiries I, I found my way to the Zen school and the practice of uh, direct experience and, and, and realization now to say something something about that the the Buddha left a, uh, an indelible mark on, um, on humanity, of course. His realization upon seeing the, the morning star at dawn, upon seeing uh, Venus, is summed up in an exclamation that is recorded that says that the Buddha became enlightened, became awakened and said, I, all beings, the great earth, are the wisdom and virtue of the awakened one to, to thusness. In another place it's recorded as, um, I, all beings, simultaneously attain the way. It's kind of a shorthand version of the same thing. I, all beings, the great earth of the, uh, of the awakened one. Now that's what that, the word Buddha means. One, that, one, one who is awake, an awakened one. Buddhism, of course, spread far and wide through, uh, through East Asia and uh, different, different areas and, and, and would become a part of the existing culture rather than supplanting uh, the, the exi existing culture. You know, Buddhism never really didn't carry a flag anywhere stick it in the ground, right? But just, it just came there in a, in, a, in a different way. The path that it found to, to arrive at this place at Yokoji weaves from, um, from India, through Northern India to Southern India, 
and then southern India through to, to China, and then from, from China to Japan, and then Japan to, to California. That's kind of like the, the direct route that it's taken for us to, to, to be practicing and finding this here. Buddhism in China became uh, woven into the fabric of um, the Chinese religion and philosophy of the time, heavily influenced with uh, Taoism, uh, Confucianism. It became something very unique that it was called Chan. The Chan uh, teachings of the uh, Tang Dynasty, looking back to you know sixth, seventh century, is celebrated in Zen as uh, sometimes as often called the golden age of Zen. So when, when we look at a lot of the texts for, for Zen, particularly in Koan study, it will harken back to that golden age in uh, China, it's, uh, where, where Zen really, really took off. Became, you know, it was uh, bigger than Quito, it was bigger than, you know, all, all, whatever's, whatever, whatever's in, you know, but it, it became far and wide practiced. Um, looking a little further ahead, jumping forward about 800 or 1,000 years, we have uh, uh, Dogen, Master Do Dogen Zenji, who was uh, a Japanese um, monk. He'd been the, he was a, the child of uh, a quite a well-placed court official who uh, went out of political favor, as, as could happen in, in, in those days. His mother died young. He became a monk at a, at a very young age and became accomplished in, in, in Japanese uh, Buddhism as, as a, a monk, could have been a teacher. But he didn't feel satisfied with um, his accomplishments or his understanding of the Dharma. So Dogen uh, traveled to, to China in order to find uh, someone of greater depth, for greater te uh, uh, who had a greater understanding. After spent about four years in China, eventually find, found it, finding uh, Master Ru Jing, who had the, the seal of the Soto lineage. That's the lineage, uh, the main lineage that's practiced here at, at Yokoji. Dogen was practicing with uh, uh, Master, Master Tendo Niojo, sitting in the hall one evening, perhaps a similar hall to this one. Where, where his teacher said, Zazen, the Zen meditation that we're practicing here, Zazen um, is, has got nothing to do with sleeping. Several people have fallen asleep, like, like Victor in the last period. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, Zazen has nothing to do with sleeping. It is dropping off of body and mind. And it said at those words, Dogen had a particularly deep experience and a great realization of dropping off of body and mind. At that point, he stayed a little longer in China, but he received uh, permission to uh, teach in uh, Tendo Niojo's lineage and returned to Japan, where um, it became one of the main lineages in Japan. We fast forward several more centuries. Maizumi Roshi was a founder uh, here whose, whose portrait hangs in the founder's room just behind the, the altar. As a young monk came from Japan wishing to um, propagate the, the Dharma, Zen Buddhism in the uh, United States, traveled out to, to Los Angeles 
and uh, the rest is history, as they say. This is one of the, uh, the temples that he uh, founded, and he gave uh, Dharma transmission, or he had 12 successors so coming from Japan. And Tenshin Roshi was in this morning and teaching this morning is one of those original successors of Maizumi Roshi. So in the Zen school, we place value on, on lineage. It's a close training, typically between, uh, basically between uh, master and apprentice, if we use those terms, or like kind of teacher and student. A long study, usually face-to-face -face over, over many years, eventually, uh, the older generation ages out and the next generation uh, then, then goes forward. And so we're living in this time now where the, the seeds of Zen were, were well planted on the West Coast, the East Coast, and places in between too. And so uh, uh, you can't move for Zen centers in California, the, the left and right. And, and you chose, chose this one to, to come up to this weekend. It's just, just they're offering that as some, as some uh, background and to place us here. It's an extraordinary thing if you reflect that the comings and goings of people over thousands of years wove together inexorably to bring you to this mat right now. In that fact, there as well as all of the comings and goings and the. the, the uh, of everybody in, in your life, like par parents and relatives and, and you know, all of these, this, this incredible uh, strands of incalculable complexity of karma all brought you here for the weekend in order to engage in the same practice as the Buddha was practicing a couple of thousand years ago in, in, the, in the forests of, of India. I just wonder, it's probably similar temperatures, but he was like <laughs> sitting in much, much of the time. So what is, it that we, what is it that we do in this practice of meditation? Again, when I, when I began, I found my way to the Zen school. The usual practice that would be, was offered, was, was given, was um, breath, breath awareness practice. So many of you may be, may be working with that now. So classic, time-honored, effective practice in order to cultivate a single-pointed immersion and concentration. Right? When we come to meditation, often the mind is very shook up, right? It's shook up with thoughts and feelings, thinking about this and that, projecting into the future, ruminating on the past, wrestling with some present challenge or decision point, which which feels like it needs to be made. And we realize that there, there's, no, there's no dial to turn it down or to turn it up or to turn it off. But we're very much at the whim, we seem to be at the whim of um, the, the content of our mind. And, and when that's so, then it's, it feels like we're, we're really not in charge, but we're being run by our thoughts and by our, our conditioned response. Many people who come to meditation have that experience. And then when, when you sit down, there's a lot of churn, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things passing through the mind. And the sense of me, I, self, is very much entangled with that thinking mind. 
right? Sometimes completely entangled, like a vine around a tree, with that thinking in mind, so that there's no separation from those thoughts. But the, the thinking mind that is always wrapped up in things, that is always uh, trying to make a deal with reality or manipulating reality, is rarely a satisfy or satisfied, uh, peaceful experience. Usually it's a busy, and difficult and challenging experience. So one of the great benefits of meditation is to, is to redress that perceived relationship to thinking mind. You know, that can begin with just being able to sit still for even a few minutes. Already that is a, uh, a radical step, which few people take. To be able to just sit down and be quiet and directly experience things as they are. That is, uh, unfortunately, uh, a, a rare happening. But we're all involved in that now. With the, with the practice of breath awareness, quite straightforward, whether it's counting breaths or following breaths. And if you don't have a practice and you wish to explore these, they can be discussed in an interview with the, with, the, with the teachers. I won't go into the specifics too much here. But that breath awareness of being able to focus attention in the physical and the real is a powerful um, method to be able to let go of ceaseless inquiry in the mind and allow attention to be absorbed in the rising and falling of breathing. If you sit and practice that somewhat each day, your body-mind will be nourished by that practice. Right? Just a simple returning to breath awareness. The Buddha, many years after his great awakening, was asked by, by Ananda, what you, the monks are asking what you do when you, when you sit, when you meditate. And the Buddha said, I sit with awareness of breathing. Good enough for the, for the old man himself, after, after many decades of practice. Complete practice in itself. In the Zen school here, we, are, we also have, we have a merging of Soto and Rinzai styles, the two predominant schools of Zen Buddhism that still exist today. Maizumi Roshi had teaching, um, transmission authorization in, in, in both those lineages. The emphasis often, and these are generalities, so some, it's not always the case, but generally so, Rinzai approach deals with koan and essential questioning. Using doubt and inquiry in order to catalyze realization. Okay, so we might take up a question an old question like who, who am I or what is this? Or a question from the tradition. Koans are typically, they defy intellectual dualistic understanding and challenge us to make a leap to transcend a subject-object uh, duality and leap into a place of, uh, of realization and of immediacy. So we practice with koans and these questions, focusing in and using, using doubt. That's generally the path of the Rinzai school and the path of Khan study. We do that, some people practice that way here. 
The other practice, I brought up Master Dogen before. Master Dogen was in the Soto lineage, founded by uh, uh, Tozan in Tang Dynasty, China. The practice of Shikantaza, or just sitting, just sitting meditation. Just sitting meditation. Well, everything I, can, I am about to say will be of little use. Yeah, because we're, it's, it's very difficult to talk about these things. It is an experiential system. It's an experiential practice. But really, the art of just sitting is to sit, just sitting. So, you know, there's the clue. Just sit. The bell, the bell is struck. Practice time begins. And then the, uh, the approach is to allow all things to be as they are, which sounds great, right? Quite difficult in practice, typically. Internal realm, thoughts, thinking, feeling, all, all that kind of positionality that we, we create consciously and unconsciously. Allow that to be unperturbed and as it is, without bias. Allow the world in, sound of the fan, you know, the, the, the heat, maybe some noise, maybe sil silence. Allow outside and inside uh, to merge without preference and sit and be just so. That's more the, the essence of uh, just sitting practice, I hope. But for most of us, we begin with uh, a good concentration practice. We bring inquiry into what rises up from sitting still. Because we find that in practice. You meditate a lot. You know, we used to have a, a, joke, a joking kind of cliche here at the center, which is like, things are coming up for me. That used to be a saying. It's like, things are coming up for me. If you like, if you just sit, things will come up for you. It's like things that are like in our conscious or subconscious mind. If we, if we create a container and have a vehicle of sitting and of silence, then the ways that we're kind of twisted up in our, in our understanding, the ways that we uh, have defined or tried to fix ourself and reality, that those entanglements will start to be dissolved by the natural practice, the natural way of direct experience, present awareness. And as those things untangle questions, fears, um, understandings, lack thereof, those things will, will come up and, 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 often, and need to be dealt with. So that's really the, uh, what you're involved in this weekend, right? Um, you know, the heat was on my mind when I just brought that up, sitting when you notice what the temperature is. Um, in the Soto, Soto school, the just sitting school, um, there's actually an old koan from Tang Dynasty, uh, Master Tozan, the founder of, uh, of Soto Zen. He was once asked by a monk, when heat and cold come, how do I escape them? So that, that was a, a monk's question to a Zen teacher. When the heat comes or the cold comes, then how do I escape those things? Now we can apply that very directly to our experience of the weekend with the, with the heat, but it can also be expanded out to when any 
condition comes. You know, any extreme condition comes, in this case, hot or cold, how do I escape from? You know, isn't that like the human way? When difficulty comes, how do I get out of it? That's what we do. We're, we're smart in, in, in that way, right? We're, we're biologically wired to uh, sustain our life and, uh, you know, keep, keep living. So if difficulties come in, we want to get away from that. The Buddha identified early on in his teachings that in the human condition, you know, a, a, a great doctor of the human condition, the Buddha, you know, what is it to be human? You know, his, his, in his teaching, of course, he said that um, life is dukkha, sometimes translated as suffering, but maybe more accurately as dissatisfactoriness. Tougher to spell, but dissatis there is dissatisfactoriness in life as a human being. I think we can, we can all attest to that. Hence the monk's question at Tozan. When heat comes, when cold comes, how do I escape them? How do I escape these difficulties? And, uh, and, and, and Tozan said to the monk, well, why not go to the place where there is no hot or cold? Why not go to the place where there is no hot and no cold? And, um, and if you're thinking like the mall or something, you know, just... <laughs> Right? We've got some ways to cheat on that one, right? Like, but for this weekend, no, not so. You know, where, do you, uh, where do you go to, to escape heat and cold? Tozan challenges him. Why not go to that place to escape heat and cold? But he's not talking about somewhere else. In the practice of, of Zen, practice of meditation inquiry, we're always talking about this here now. This here now, this experience, this here now. Not somewhere else, not in another place, not somewhere to, to, that's hidden, but always this now. Why not go to the this now place where you can escape cold and heat? Why not go there? The monk doesn't understand this and says, and asks him, you know, as a human being, classically, just says, well, where is the place of no heat and no cold? Often, you know, it's like that for, for me when I, when I got, got involved in, in, in Zen and uh, found my way to studying with, um, with Tenshin Roshi. I'd hear him give a Dharma talk and it was part of me that thought, why is he being deliberately vague? <laughs> like, why, why, <laughs> why don't he just tell me what, why don't he just say what he, you know, just break it, explain it. I realize it's, you know, it's not easily explained, but I, you know, like there's something hidden here and if only a teacher could just say like, here it is, then I don't have to do the work, right? Give me the hack. Like, let me do it. I want to do it in 15 minutes. I don't want to spend 10 years doing this. But there's no, there's no, there's no, well, I could say there's no getting around it, but I don't want to say that because maybe that is. But for most of us, uh, practice, Dharma practice is a, is a, is a lifelong practice and a, and a practice of uh, steady, steady discipline, a practice of like walking uh, like a long hike, you know, there are ups, there are downs, sometimes the going is tough, sometimes it's smooth going, 
Sometimes you can stop and take a break and have a drink of water. Other times you're really sweating and you're just trying to get to camp. But it's a, it's a, it's a long, it's a long path. It's a long journey typically. Tozan says, "Why not go to the place where there is no heat or cold?" The monk says, "Where is that place of no heat and cold?" And then Tozan says, "When it's hot, it kills you with heat. Where it's cold." kills you with cold okay strong words you know sometimes I've seen a translation it overwhelms you with but that's a little softer I think it's so it's like we're going to frighten people if we say kills you with but the more literal translation is it kills you with go to the how do you escape heat go to the place where is that place when it's hot it kills you with heat when it's cold it kills you with cold now, if we enter into that question and that response, it really points to something, uh, uh, it really points to the heart of our meditation or the heart of our Zazen practice. Right? And you can see how this, how this is. When we come in here and, uh, and, we, and we take the seat and the bells are struck, and I'm very impressed by everyone sitting so quiet and still. It's a very quiet and still, strong beginning for a, for a beginner's mind session. <laughs> I realize I'm like the noisiest, moviest person in the room, you know? So, so it, it feels very strong like that. So, so, so thank you for that. I, I realize it's difficult and it requires, um, it requires effort. So the bell is struck and then what happens then in the space in between the bells, what's what's happening for that for that thirty minutes? Perhaps it's very hot. Not so bad right now. Maybe a little later it'll be well. Likely it'll be it'll be much hotter. Now, if we're sitting here as an example, and in our mind we're thinking, "Oh God, it's hot," right? And and then, oh, why'd I come here? Or how long till the period is over? What's next on the schedule? And then any of these comments as we narrate our experience is like a train that pulls up at the station and opens the door and says, get on, we'll go for a ride. <laughs> this ride is gonna be at least half an hour long. We'll be seeing lots of sh stuff on the way. Most of it you've already seen before, <laughs> right? So if we, if we jump on, a, on that train of thought and then we begin a construction in the mind, a construction where we're thinking about our experience, our commentary around the experience, our commentary around life, other people, suddenly that train has taken a, a turn and we're back in 10 years ago in a relationship or it's took a, it's you know it's gone through a tunnel and we come out and we're a kid again you know so you get on that train and you never quite know where where, where it's going to go but what happens is you you that is then no longer zazen that is sitting and falling into thinking about things right nothing uh, intrinsically wrong with that but it doesn't bear much fruit in, in, a, in our practice 
And it can often take us into places where we're in a tussle with reality. Like it's really hot. Why don't they put some AC in? What's wrong with these people? Blah, blah, blah. And then we start, you know, and then there's an argument. Reality is hot. This is it. It is the way it is, all the way through. And yet, we take, often take a position and start to uh, grumble with that particular reality. This is what Tozan is pointing to. So where then is the place of no heat? When it's hot. If we're sitting and we're in a relationship to the conditions of our environment, then we're immersed with hot and cold. Then we're in a place of preference and bias. If we can really drill down and enter and allow things to allow this, this reality, allow this life to really to penetrate us, to, to overwhelm us, to dissolve us, then you can come to understand the place of no heat in the midst of heat, through not taking a position in opposition to heat. Same thing with cold, same thing with thinking, same thing, so on, so on. We live often in a dualistic relationship to reality, commenting on, you know, an endless narration. Our practice of Zazen, the practice of still sitting, again, nourished by single point of concentration practice, breath awareness, noticing what's here, dropping an anchor into presence and establishing a good foundation. If you spend all weekend doing that, a weekend well spent. Learn that, that how to set a foundation in, in presence awareness. So you can gain respite from a ceaseless worry, concern, or, or commentary about life. Let that rest just for a period of time, even just for 30 minutes, even just for 10 minutes five minutes, five breaths. But the possibilities of meditation, the possibilities of Zazen is to really to let go of the distinction between self and other things. You know, the software with which we navigate the world. Allow that distinction to dissolve and enter into the place of no heat, no cold, non-thinking, non-doing. It takes practice. It takes effort. Now here, we really stress to is uh, meditation and Zazen in every activity. So it's not that we come in here and then this is our Zen practice hour and a half or so, two hours, okay, done, got my Zen on, and now I'm gonna go do something else, and you just go, you know, default back to the, where you, where you were before you came in the room, if that's even possible, right? So it's not the Zen's in here, and then other things are, are out there, but rather, Zazen is the foundation for all of our, all of our experience. 
right? So at the stillness of being thus and in direct contact with, right? Which we spend a lot of time in that, in that space, whether it's recognized or not anyway. It's like when you go to sleep at night, there's a period of time where certainly all, all sense of like, sub, you know, it all collapses. And yet, isn't that amazing? Like your whole life disappears and you wake up and you're like, oh, that was nice. I feel bad. <laughs> Similarly with, with Zazen, it's just entering in, practice a foundation here, still sitting, learn that art to be content, to be just so. The body grumbles, you know, but we find a way sit be just so and then the bell is struck at the end and we move into the walking so that's where the forms are valuable okay bell is struck first bell keep sitting second bell okay now it's time raise the hands and bow this is still zazen okay gonna move and stretch a little bit i'm gonna make some token effort at stretching okay that's enough of that then we're standing up Okay, so far so good. Now we're doing the meditation of standing up and turning around, fixing the cushion. Then we turn again, stand, clap as a struck, bow, turn. Okay, now walking. So all of these are, are opportunities, all of these are gates to the way. If we take it as like, well, I know how to walk, so I don't have to spend any time in attention, that'll take care of itself. I'll just get back to thinking now or looking at the people in front of me and thinking about them. <laughs> What's in their world? What kind of person? You, you know, of the many ways that we can, we can go with that. Right? So, no, it's like the attention there. That is now the practice of walking. Very simple, very direct. Feel the feet on the carpet. Raising the foot up, breathing in. Miracle, Raise, putting the foot down, breathing out, complete, raising the foot, and we just walk. And that is our Zen, the direct experience of slow walking. Entered into, holy, what a, what a wonderful, miraculous practice this is. I'm walking. <laughs> and then we do a faster walk. And then we leave, so on, but Zazen doesn't end. Then we go into the Zazen of, okay, What's next on the we'll look on the schedule? Okay, go to go to the meal, and that becomes the meditation of eating. And this, so particularly in here, we bring a stronger concentration to practice. But you can't be like drilled in and like concentration all of the time, right? <coughs> so that concentration can soften, and naturally it will adapt to whatever the activity is. If you just allow it. We're moving into the dining room. Time to eat. You know, find our place in the line. Maybe politely let that person, you know, go in front and then we reach, take some utensils, take what food we would like. Yeah. Sometimes we'll have, sometimes we have, a, you know, a university group will come up and they're going to learn meditation for the first time and the first time we go through for dinner it's like people just you know just pile of plates pile of plates 
and then go off and eat and then and it's clean up and it's like you just see like mountains of food still you know because that's the world people are coming from but here everything is an opportunity to be mindfully aware to look take as much food as we may like can always come back for a second and then there's the meditation of cleaning our plate and making a nice job of it and everything flows in this way the only thing you need to do with the weekend is to follow the schedule just let the schedule be there let that let that guide you you already took care of business you're here now enter into this each of these activities simple activities just directly and allow yourself to you know just enter in set aside the you know those preconceptions or the value judgments of uh, how we, we we compare this to that what we're learning is to we may begin practice or come to practice because the ceaseless activity of the mind is running the show and through the cultivation and concentration and the realization that comes from direct experience we return to the center we return to the place of you know oh no this one this one is the one that's in charge the one without a name with one without a history the one without preferences this one that is always awake awake and aware just like the buddha just like dogen just like maizumi roshi master tozan everyone is that the buddha at, at his great exclamation said i all beings the great earth so that's all all of us too everybody is included past and future those gone before those yet to come the whole earth everything all together has this capacity for great awakening so it's really wide open for each one of us to use the, the weekend use the time very well you know extract the most juice from a lemon that you can while, while you're here in order to learn something of uh, the skillful art of the Zen tradition which is serve people well for a long period of time okay well thank you thank you for your kind attention thank you for your ears and um yeah let's uh let's make the the, the very best of the weekend thank you <laughs>